I hope we meet in Archenland. Go to my father, King Loon, and tell him you're a friend of mine. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that today we're talking about the third book in the series, The Horse and His Boy, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories that we like and stuff that we're thinking about. Uh, We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too crazy. But today, we are discussing The Horse and His Boy, Chapter 5, Prince Corin. Chase, let me uh, break us down a summary for us real quick. Uh, Edmund looks at Susan and says they are in great danger. He is not confident at all that they will be allowed to leave Tashban easily if they are not going to take the prince's offer of marriage. Edmund recounted his experience with the prince earlier that day and how he did not think they would take no for answer. And so does Tumnus, uh, but who cares about Tumnus? They say how it would be an outrage for him to take Susan by force, but it might be a larger plot to overtake both Narnia and Archenland by force, being the larger empire that likes to conquer. The raven, Salopad, with them, uh, then casually says the ways that the Tizrak may get to the north to attack which Shasta is very interested to hear as a traveler himself, who is also trying to make his way north conveniently. They plan how to fight or escape, and Tumna suggests that they need to get down to their ship, and they could tell the prince they want to throw him a banquet on board the following night, and they could use that as an excuse to load the ship and sail away, just like Inya. The others like this plan, and they decide it is their best bet. They tell Shasta he should continue to rest there and recover, and he thinks to himself how dreadful a situation he is in, not knowing whether they could join the Narnians, uh, and also knowing he is not in a place to reveal his true identity now that he's heard their plans, because surely they will be upset about it. The fawn Tumnus returns and tells him about all the things that Corin missed and how nice it'll be once they get back to his home in Archenland and how he can get knighted by uh, King Peter and all of these great things. And by the end of it all, Shasta actually hoped Corin did not return so that he could go in his place to the things that he had heard about the North. He dozes off to sleep because that's what you do once you eat a lot of food. Uh, and he goes to sleep in his comfortable rooms and wakes up to a loud crash as a boy Shasta's age climbed in the room and wouldn't you know it, Chase? It was like it was as if Shasta was looking in a mirror, like the exact same person. But Shasta didn't know that because he'd never looked at a mirror. Because you know he's poor. Uh, the boy asks who Shasta was, and he says how King Edmund mistook him for Corin in the street. Now he ended up here. Corin then shares how he had gotten separated from the group when another boy made fun of Queen Susan. So he started a fight with him and his big brother and a bunch of soldiers. Uh, and the boy asks who Shasta is, and Shasta says he is that that he's a Narnian or you know some kind of northerner but he grew up in Calarmine and was trying to escape. Corin tells Shasta how to escape, and as they part, they find uh, uh, he, he says that if he finds his way to Archenland to go to his father, King Loon, and he'll tell him that he's Corin's friend, and then they hear something coming, and the chapter ends. Mm, the chapter ends indeed. And the theme of this chapter, Cal, is kind of setting the stage or, or making plans. Making plans. Chase? I tell you plainly, we are in no small danger. Oh, what, no. What is it? Get to it. Just say it. We, we left this last chapter. on you, you already, you already, We already know something's wrong. Just tell yeah, us. Yeah. 
we get it. We we read the last page. <clears throat> I mean, this is one thing that I noticed about just Edmund in general in this book, or Edmund and Susan both, is I love that they don't keep any of their old personality. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> I mean, not at all. I mean, Susan was always kind of like generic, like nice person. Yeah. But this one, it's just Edmund is adult in the room and Susan is responsible enough to not get married to a tyrant. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Hey, and both are good things. You kind of wish that Edmund would be a little bit more, I don't know, like, can I, like, I, I feel like he should be a bigger piece of the strategy in this chapter. Yeah, for someone known as Edmund the Wise, the fact that it's not yeah. his plan is kind of disappointing. Uh, but at least he's wise enough to take counsel, so that's good. Uh, but the great he's danger... He's wise to get rid of Thomas and his counsel, but whatever. Hey, if you don't have smugglers in your counsel, can you actually survive? Can you blow up the Death Star twice? I don't know. I mean, blow up the Death Star, take King's Landing. Yeah. It's, uh, you gotta all... have a good smuggler. I'm just saying. Uh, you gotta it... while you're at it. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is. But the great danger that they find themselves in is because Edmund is wise enough to recognize that, you know, if they deny the prince's quote-unquote offer of marriage, uh, that he doesn't think they'll be able to leave. And, you know, some more words of wisdom from Salopad the Raven, easily in but not easily out, as said the lobster in the lobster pot. It's true. <laughs> Got him. But, like, in this scenario, if they're the lobsters... Like, they willingly jumped in the pot. Like, they, they hopped in. And so, it, it's, a, it's a great metaphor. Words of wisdom. But also, like, lobsters don't just leave the ocean and jump in boiling pots of water. Yeah. And they point out the this way because of a lot of, like, weird comments and interactions they had throughout the day. Like... For example, when Edmund was hanging out with the prince earlier in the day, he noticed how the prince seemed to be kind of annoyed that Susan had been kind of dragging him along for a while and, you know, kind of started threatening in some yeah. ways about how, like, oh, his suit was going to be cold. They were taking so long to get married, which, chill, chill out, bro. But also, like, the uh I think it was the visor, like one of the counselors in the Tisrock's party was like, Oh, it'll it'll be easy for you to get back to get back to Narnia, provided you leave us in exchange for a bride for a prince. Yeah, it's the the prince himself makes just kind of veiled like threats where he's he's more just implying with his tone, and then the vizier is just like, no. The only way you're getting back to Dardia is like if we provide, like if you provide, you know, Susan as a bride. And Susan's like, "Would do you mean that he would take me by like by force to be his wife?" And Susan or Edmund goes, "That's my fear, Susan, his wife, or worse, as his slave." Uh, and you know, that's another another rough thing. Uh, and it's it's a legitimate fear. It's a legitimate like you know scary thing that they kind of have to navigate through. And so uh, they start talking uh, about this, this terrible situation. And Edmund, because he's so wise, recognizes 
that this is probably less about Susan and like finding a bride than it is about uh, the Tisrock, the the you know emperor of the Calamine Empire, wanting to conquer Archenland and Narnia and have kind of an in route to do that because, as we mentioned last podcast, uh, Narnia and Archenland are apparently pretty small lands, small peoples, and Calamine is this huge empire. And what do empires do? They conquer little people. They conquer the weak. Um, and then they have a little sassy dwarf friend who goes unnamed uh, and says, you know, well, at sea, we are as big as he is, which means they have a good navy. And I, I just I think this is a really funny, Chase, because as we've mentioned before, you know, this is intentionally a British novel. Uh, he is a right. British he author. Goes, be very British. Goes very British. And the British are known for having a really powerful navy. Uh, and so I think he's trying to make this comparison that like, yes, Narnia, the promised land, like is Britain. But also, like Britain is not the quote unquote little guy historically. They are a small yeah. island with a powerful navy. But they are also the Calarmine Empire that is notorious for conquering its weak neighbors. Yeah, they like set the standard for colonial imperialism worldwide. Something, something, the sun never sets on the British Empire. Yeah, or the Austin Stones Ministry. Either yeah, way. Either way. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it is really ironic because you kind of get the vibe that he, I mean, and, and given his time period that he's going for like a, Germany versus England comparison. Absolutely. It's Germany but conquering also, Poland and Austria and France and Yeah. The the British would never recognize, at least in that time, that they are guilty of the exact same thing, just they didn't do it to white people, so yeah. no one heard. Yeah. At least in their island. Yeah. Their island, they were all totally fine with it. But go to India, go to Africa go to a lot of places who are yeah. not as cool with it. In fact, I mean, you bring up India, the country that this seems to be a kind of weird parallel for. I mean, it could also be Iran or, or Afghanistan, which are also places that the British did weird stuff in. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, condemn thyself. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely... Uh, it's a weird Anglo view on things uh, where it's like, yes, the little guy, Narnia, everyone should root for Narnia, which is true. Like in this story, the Narnias are the good guys, but also in history, just British is the British have never been the little guys. Uh, and if yeah. we have any British people listening to this podcast and you consider yourself the little guy, that's like if America was to consider themselves the like the victims and like the little guys in like most situations. <laughs> Oh, don't you worry, Cal. We do consider ourselves the victim in most <laughs> situations. I just, I just don't understand why so many countries hate us, Chase. Uh, maybe they should just... Uh, is it because they're jealous? Don't they know how great we are? We want. That's like our defining characteristic, is greatness. Yeah. We yeah. help people by force. Yeah. We're great. But we also have a great Navy. So, you know, that's... Maybe we are... Maybe we're the bad guys in the end. Uh, all right next point (laughs) it's almost like all empire is the bad guy oh no Mm. Uh, but yeah we don't need to talk about american imperialism no that's a 
for not being taught in schools. No, we're this is Narnia. We're we're talking about Britain right now, not American problems. Yeah. But uh, they are talking about how to do what yeah. empire was to attack. How would they do it, Cal? Yeah. If so, here's the thing. Uh, you know, let's ask Salopad uh, because Salopad flies a lot. Is a raven. Uh, Salopad, if you were to get, if you were to make your way to conquer Narnia and Archenland, what, what what would you do? Uh, and so he starts talking about you know the desert. Uh, and how to traverse the desert, which is an interesting, you know, it's, they were just talking about the sea and like all these things. This is a hard, hard transition. And it seems almost chase, like this is a convenient way for Shasta to hear some information that he was desperately needing to hear because uh, a few chapters ago, we heard him in the, uh, I don't, you know, I, the, the runaway gang, uh, they, we need a good team name for them. Uh, being able to, uh, they were talking about how in the world they were possibly going to cross the desert. Uh, and, you know, it seems impossible. And the raven goes, oh, I've flown the desert many times uh, and I know how to cross it. And he, you know, he talks about if the Tizrock tries to go straight over the desert, that they'd never make it because they wouldn't have enough provision for their army. But Chase, there's another way. And wouldn't you know it? It starts at the tombs of the ancient kings, which, if I remember correctly, is the exact spot that they were supposed to be meeting with the rest of the the runaway gang. Uh, It's almost like this is a plot device to give us a precise map of the way we were going to go. It's almost like that. But this is just just Salopad telling about his experiences, and he's like, well, there's no way. There's no way they could find this hidden path from the the tomb of ancient kings and through the mountains and you know through this valley and blah 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 making their way straight into Archenland. The yeah, who which, thought? I love that Susan is like, wait, do you think that they know this route? Like, is this a real threat? And then all the men in the room are just like, ah, don't worry about it. Edmund immediately is like, who cares if they like what? Like, does this even matter? Because like we we could say all this and like you know Peter could defeat the Tisrock a dozen times, but if we can't leave this palace, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and you know again, some great words of wisdom from the Raven Salopad again because Edmund's like we should be merely rats fighting in a trap when it's all there. And the Raven goes, yes, the last the these last stands in a house make good stories, but nothing ever came of them. After their first few repulses, the enemy always. Sets the house on fire. Uh, so he's basically Red, like, "Loud of angry men." No, that's France, Chase. This is Britain. Oh yes, no oh, relation, no relationship. Except, Except the people in that play are all British. But don't worry about that. True, French people with British accents, as they were always intended to be. I think the only person with a French accent, or at least who tries, is Borat, uh, and that's saying something. Uh, that's in the movie. Borat is going hard on a number of levels. So <laughs> he's I I like how we're not afraid to have been Sasha Baron Cohen, but Borat. Uh he is That's his full identity. Yeah. The rest of them, you know, you can tell then the characters in Les Miz, like, oh, the people who are wealthier, like they're just regular British people. But the people who are poor, they're cockney. Uh which is more again a stereotype on British culture. Uh and it seems like kind of messed up. But they're also not French. But that's a totally different story than this. But Salopad says, 
hey, you know, uh, we we have to figure out basically a way to get out of here because if we just fight in here, eventually we'll just die. Like it's great and it's you know makes her a good story, and then. <laughs> Thomas gets into this thinking post and Chase is just is demonstrating this on camera. But what we read, like Edmund is trying to like, you know, calm everyone down. And then he looks at Tumnus and he's like, what are you doing? Tumnus, what is wrong with you? And Tumnus has his hands clenched on his horns and shaking in a fever. It's does this help him think? Is helping in any way i don't know Why? but he he goes don't speak to me don't speak to me i'm thinking i'm thinking so I that know. i can hardly breathe wait 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 have you ever just seen like i don't know i feel like an eight-year-old who's just thinking so hard that it's like on written on their entire face just like, like yeah that's the exact thing i'm getting here except he has horns Except he has horns, and apparently, as we've been told, he's older now. He is older, because time has passed. We know that, for sure. Uh, but in Thomas, there's this little back and forth with him and the dwarf, still unnamed, but Salopad gets a name. Uh, he goes, the only difficulty is how to get down to our ship with some stores without being seen and stopped. And the dwarf goes, yes, just as the beggar's only difficulty is riding without a horse. Like, it's like, it's just a really funny comment from this dwarf who, like, doesn't get enough credit because what a, what a one-liner from this dwarf. What a zinger. And he doesn't even get credit for his, for his name. Well, you know, Cal, I've known a good dwarf here or there. <laughs> oh, man, we're back to this. Uh, I thought we were done with dwarfism. Uh, but apparently not. Uh, but uh, we, Thomas is like, no, no, no. What I meant to say is we just need an excuse to get down to the boat. And then he uh, makes this grand plan, which, like, let's be real. It's a pretty decent plan. Uh, and he goes, yeah. he goes, let's plan a banquet in the prince's honor. And uh, that'll give us excuses to be going in and out, bringing all of our goods and supplies and stuff from the market to our boat. And, you know, before the uh, banquet actually happens, boom, we set sail and we're off. And I just want to recognize that Tumnus he's needed because of his expertise in smuggling people out of a situation. Uh, you know, just as he would have been an expert at smuggling Lucy to the white witch, uh, you know, he's an expert at smuggling these people out of Tashpan and back into Narnia. Guess so. He's, uh, yeah, I'm as all the listeners know, very tired of this. Yeah. We're, but, I mean, when Right, he's right. It's it's a good plan. Yeah. As as Queen Susan recognizes, you know, he's saved them all. But like, but like, can we just uh, like? I'm still just like, yeah, it's a good plan. But I'm still just upset that Tumnus has this place of authority in the royal household. Like, why does he deserve this? Because Lucy never got over her Stockholm syndrome, and they all just kind of went with it. I yeah. I, I guess it works out, but yeah. I mean, I just love that it's kind of like a mini heist. Yeah, stealing themselves. Yeah, I like it. It you know it we need makes... more heists in these books. There's yeah. one in so far. Yeah, but uh, they you know decide this is the great plan, and 
you know, this is this is their best way to get out of there, and they have no fear of being overtaken because their ship is you know faster and stronger. They go real Pirates of Caribbean vibes, where this is the Black Pearl, and everyone else is you know swine. Uh, and then Salopad the Raven is like, all right, this is the plan. Like whoever gave him final authority on things to just be like, yes, the meeting is over. This is what we're doing. I don't know, but he <laughs> he makes the call. Uh, and it's like, sweet, this is the best plan. And now as we birds say, nest before eggs, which is as much to say, let us take our food and then be about our business. Chase, I want to break this down real quick. Nests before eggs, which yeah. is food and like eat your food and then be about your business. What, what does this mean? I can't tell if nest before eggs means they've got to like, put everything together before they leave like because the, the I way guess had, you got to have a nest before you can have eggs in it maybe yeah which that part makes sense yes sure. May, build your nest before you lay eggs in your, your nest because otherwise they fall to the ground and break and that perfectly logical I mean I I feel this right now as I am like painting the walls in my house before starting to have company over because yes. yeah, sometimes nest you before got eggs, man. Yeah, nest before eggs. Bros before rose, <laughs> nest before eggs. Bros before eggs. Um <laughs> but it's uh, uh the way that translates into take our food and then eat it or I, and, then, food and, then, and then start planting. I don't know, man. Uh but it's a first things first but it's weird the first thing is lunch yeah well you know you gotta make sure you like can you really plan and have a productive meeting if you haven't eaten well then but but then after you eat you gotta take a nap and then and then you can plan and then you could be about your business yeah but then after you take your nap then you gotta deal with the burglar who is also the person you're impersonating yeah it's true so we after this whole moment of, you know, they, they decide to like, all right, ready, break. And then they go eat food and they eat this delicious meal, uh, which like this is the like Shasta's meal is crazy town. Uh, it's like sounds super delicious. Uh, but before he, he gets to that, he's like having this inner monologue where he's like, man, like I, I want to tell them, but I have this habit of not telling grownups anything because they'll spoil or stop it. And also, I don't want Erevis to be thrown into slavery because she is Calamine, and like obviously so. Uh, and like that's really considerate for you know a person yeah. who has not treated you with any kindness to be like yes. concerned about her. For sure, for someone who has been nothing but rude and mean to him, and in fact, in this very day has like made fun of him for being poor yeah for him to actually like want good for her because he kind of realizes that okay well like i'm northern brie and when are northern like they would probably take us but erevis is the one who's in danger here like he put her safety before their ease of actually getting to their goal again it's a misunderstanding of the character of the Narnians and like what they would actually be like if he told them their situation. Yeah. Uh, it, it does speak to his character, even if it also speaks to his misunderstanding. Absolutely. Cause you know, what you mentioned is the uh, not understanding 
the Narnians. And uh, he, he's like, well, you know, if the, like they, I can't tell them now because like, I already know their plans and I don't know what I'll do. If the real like corn turns up, they'll probably kill me. And it, it goes, he'd had you see no idea of how noble and freeborn people behave. He, he's never been in a culture in a society where he's been treated as free and treated as like, yeah. like a person. And so uh, he doesn't have any idea that this is okay. Uh, and so he goes on to just like, he's content to just stay silent. Uh, and he, you know, Tumnus then, you know, brings him his meal, which like, and like C.S. Lewis makes his side. He's like, I don't know whether you'd like it or not. This is a, you know, real calorie meal because there were lobsters and salad and snipe stuffed with almonds and truffles, a complicated dish made of chicken livers, rice, raisins, and nuts, uh, cool melons, and gooseberry fools, and mulberry fools, and every kind of nice thing that could be made with ice. And apparently he's giving this uh, this teenager white wine, which is really yellow. Uh, yeah, I like how C.S. Lewis has to get in his weird stand-up routine about how white wine isn't actually white. <laughs> What's the deal with white wine? You know, they should really call it yellow. But uh, classic C.S. Lewis. Uh, but I was like, man, this is a great meal. Like this is like if, if his previous best meal was like the dried meat pasties and like oh, moldy yeah. cheese and, uh, you know, stale bread. This is probably got to be like like he out like he's going to be sick from just how good this meal is. Yeah, this sounds incredible. Yeah, I'm a big but fan. Tumnus doesn't doesn't know that sometimes you need to leave people to eat eat alone. Tumnus yeah. is a little gabby. He is so gabby, and he but like conveniently, who would have thought? Uh, I wonder, like he, uh, like I wonder if any of this stuff is going to come back up later. But he tells Shasta uh, all about the you know king of King Loon of Archenland and all the things he can look forward to once he returns, and he'll be able to be a knight from you know in Peter's uh, in King Peter's like you know army. He's going to get knighted at Care Paravel. They're going to have adventures. They're going to go to festivals. They're going to have all night dances with the fawns and the dryads. Which that hey, sounds like something. Sounds something lit. like Tumnus would be up to. Honestly, sounds like parties we threw in college. Uh, Rush Bucks, the Christian fraternity that does not drink. Uh, yeah. so, lol. Uh, so uh, he's like, you can look forward to all these things, and who knows, Chase? Maybe you'll even see Aslan. Wink, wink. Ooh. Except little does he know, he's already seen Aslan twice, yeah. and and it's a lot scarier than he was probably assuming. But yeah, as is, is a little bit angry in this book, or at least a little bit violent. He's this is definitely Aslan going through a little bit of an angsty phase post resurrection. Uh, yeah, he's, but just wait for his old man phase. That's a that's a whole vibe. Old we'll call man that Aslan, the hipster phase. Yeah, absolutely. That's when he starts. He grows a beard. Uh, he starts, uh, you know, drinking uh, craft brews. Uh, you know, wears only tweed for some reason. Yeah, yeah get some real Calvinist vibes for sure. It's, uh, uh, but weird, weirdly, like charismatic Calvinist because he's also given uh, given prophecies and stuff, and then also throwing some universalism in there. But you know, for sure, sure. So he, uh, so we, he goes through this and he eats this whole meal and he's heard this long rambling speech by Tumnus and 
he does exactly what you'd think would happen after you eat a huge meal and you're in a really comfortable spot that you have, like after traveling for a long time, he falls asleep. He passes out. Uh, and when he wakes up, there's nothing. Nap, by the way. Oh yeah. Like, win. yeah, it's a, like, this is a great moment for him. And he crashes, like probably gets some great sleep. He hasn't gotten good sleep in a while. Uh, and then he wakes up to a crash uh, at the window and he uh, sees two hands gripping the windowsill and pulling themselves up. And all of a sudden, boom, a boy Shasta's own age, almost exactly the own, his own age, some would say, pops through the window. And Chase, wouldn't you know it, a, a boy who looks almost exactly like Shasta walks through the window, but he wouldn't know that because he's poor and can't afford yeah. a mirror. If he had a looking glass or for us normal people, a mirror, uh, if he had one, he would think to himself, wow, this guy looks just like me, except he has never seen one because he doesn't have one. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's almost like this is going to come up later. Hmm. Spoiler alert for the end of this book. Very big spoiler alert. Yeah. They're I twins. Mean, for this book. This is where this is all building towards. And it's right. pretty obvious in this chapter. Yes. This is his twin brother da, da, da. it's crazy i think we should still hold off on his on his actual name uh because oh, i think yeah. that's going to be a fun discussion later uh but uh we figure out in this moment the audience knows now uh that these guys are twins which makes uh shasta also an actual prince of Archenland, which is crazy uh it's nuts but they start having this back and forth because they're like, who are you? Who are you? I'm Prince Corin. And he's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, who are you? And he's like, nobody in particular. Uh, you know, King Edmund thought I was you. Cop captured me. But now I need to get out of here. Uh, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, you know, you can just go in the same way that I came in. But you got to be good at climbing. But, like, let's have some fun with this. Like, like Prince yeah, Corin is. Honestly, I want to see the Sweet Life of Zack and Cody version of this book. Like. They could have had some real hijinks, and it would have been a, a real rob. It would have yeah. been a good time. This is the sweet life of Callerman and 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 Cody and Archenland. The the Archenland cart no, the Callerman life of Corin and Chuck. Would, would Erevis be London or she's for Erevis sure London? She's definitely London. She's not kind enough to be. Oh man, what's her name? I, I can't. I want to say Sharpay, which is her character. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Oh man, because I think of the actress's name, but yeah. it's fine. Oh. It's not important. It's really not. But now it's bugging me, listeners. If you can comment the name of that character uh, yeah. who is not Sharpay. Oh, Go and comment on every single post on our Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts the name of this character so that we cannot go crazy. Yeah, we could easily Google this, but we won't because, you know. Absolutely. I will 100% forget that this conversation happened the second we log off of the Zoom call. Honestly, the second that I start this next sentence, which is that uh, they are, so they have talked about this and they, you know, uh, Prince Corin wants to go through this ruse, the prince and the pauper, uh, except in reverse. And they're like, oh, we could have some fun with this. And Shasta's like, nope, I gotta go. Uh, so, you know, actually, where were you in all this? Because, I, and he, you know, gets this story. And Prince Corin's story 
is so ridiculous. Uh, it's, it's really fun and super dumb, but I like it. Uh, and he's like, well, I heard this boy make a beastly joke about Queen Susan. So I knocked him out. And then his older brother came out and started to you know, get mad. So I knocked him out. And then these soldiers saw me and got really mad at me. And they knocked me out. And then I woke up and I was with these soldiers and I said, hey, let's go get a drink. And I got them drunk and they passed out. And then I escaped. And then the first boy came back and he was mad and I knocked him out again. <laughs> then I had to lay low. And so I laid on top of this roof for a while, tried to like wait until my, you know, my stars on Grand Theft Auto went down. <laughs> and then I escaped and came back here. It's look, I wish it had been more than like a paragraph because it was it's a great story. Would have loved honestly, to see the side is, quest. Yeah, incredible stuff here. But also brings in a question, which I know alcohol laws do not apply in fictional stories. So and in Britain. <laughs> or in Britain. Um, how old are they supposed to be? Like, I, I can't. I feel like, like we said teenager at one point here, Erevis is a little bit younger than Chasta, I think. And she is probably like, between 12 and 14 I'm going, my... I, I'm going 14 and 16 for Erevis and Shasta respectively that's I my think it, in my mind Shasta is younger because the Pevensies were younger in the uh, mm-hmm. in book but that actually makes sense is and that a... also I was wondering last chapter so Susan calls Corin her playmate which is maybe she weird, so my mean that they're similar ages and i feel like that makes sense for her age in this book. yeah my headcanon for that line was that because she's now an adult and of like marrying age let's call her like mid 20s older 20s uh that she babysat him whenever his mother died maybe that that feels right that's that feels the, her character too yeah that's 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 my personal headcanon is like she would, you know, play with him and she would take care of him, especially once his mother died. Uh, that's why she was so distraught. Don't yeah. know if that's the they, also, they act older than than Shasta. Like Absolutely. They, the way they scold him, it would be weird if they were the same age. Yeah, they're definitely older than Shasta. I, so mine is like Shasta's like 16. Edmund's like 26. And Susan's like 28. That's what I'm going with. Uh, but we, uh, they, you know, get, go back to the story. And uh, after we hear about the escapades of Corin, he asks who he is. And Shasta's like, no time. But know that I'm Narnia or, or Narnian or Northern, obviously, uh, because he looks exactly like Corin. Uh, if they haven't put two and two together here, you know, this is real parent trap stuff where it's like, guys, you should at least be asking some questions here uh, about not going to ask questions. You should at least pierce your ears. You should pierce your ears and switch places. One of you go to London. One of you go to the Napa Valley and break. Uh, so we. That's great. So he tells him, "Hey, I'm you know some kind of northern, and I've been a slave all my life, uh, and I'm trying to get across the desert on this talking horse called Bree, which like he says he doesn't have time to explain anything, but kind of just gives a brief summary of everything." <laughs> And then shout out to Corin for being like, cool, no follow-up questions. So, so chill. He's like, all right, man, peace. Like, that sounds like a great time. I wish well for you. Go out the window, 
drop out here, land on the veranda, onto the rubbish heap. Uh, and he's like, he's the most chill partner in crime. Uh, and Shasta's like, thanks, bro. And they look at each other and they're like, man, we're best friends now. We've had a, like two minute interactions. Best friends. Hey, do we? Yeah, they're they're about to go make some bunk beds uh, and just destroy them. Uh, but only, only if they meet in Archenland. Only if they meet in Archenland. But like, hey, if you ever find your way to Archenland, like you know, go tell my father King Loon uh, that you're a friend of mine, uh, and uh, we'll have a really good time. Oh shoot, Chase, something's coming. Bye. And yeah, that's, and that's it, it really is funny. Like. C.S. Lewis goes out of his way to make sure they can't have a full conversation. Like he has someone coming at the end so that Shasta just has to leave and they can't actually like establish this any further, which works for the story, but it, it feels kind of forced. Yeah. It's, I I don't know if C.S. Lewis has learned that you don't have to end every chapter on a cliffhanger. Like you can just end the chapter on being like, Hey man, like if you're ever in Archenland, Come find me. And like that's a really natural way to end a chapter. Not, oh no, someone's coming. Like that you don't yeah. it's it's unnecessary. Yeah. But hey, it's C.S. Lewis. It's what he does. It is what it is. But Chase, do you have anything else before we dive further up and further in? I don't think so. When you want to start us off? Sounds good. So uh, for my further up and further in for this chapter, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the tropes that happens here that is found in a lot of books and movies, and that is the secret escape. So something that happens in this chapter first by the Narnian party and then by Shasta and Corin is the planning of a secret escape from captors. Uh, you know, one could argue it would have been better for Shasta if he had stayed with the Narnians, but he has some more lessons to learn before getting to the North, so he's got to get away. Um, but yeah, this is a classic scene in fantasy and storytelling, the plot to escape the evil captors uh, right under their nose. And in a way, including this trope, lets us know who the good guys are. Like, you root for the escapee. You want them to get away safely, even if it's only by the skin of their teeth. I mean, that's kind of the whole premise of this book, right? Like Shasta and Bree and then Erebus and Wynn are escaping to their freedom and just inherently you root for them because they are the ones getting away from somewhere they don't want to be. And by putting the Narnian king and queen in this position, C.S. Lewis gives them that inherent clout and sympathy with the reader and then also connects them and their story to Shasta's story in another way, uh, more than just their heritage. And so they're all in the same boat. Like you're rooting for all of them now because there's a clear enemy, there's a clear opposition that they want to get away from. And in this case, that is the evil empire. Uh, and for that, that's Calvin. But there's there's always an evil empire. There's that's always a, one. That's at length. Speaking of, you know, uh, empires and whatnot, my, my further up and further in is the hidden royal. Uh, and you see this kind of in a lot of different stories and a lot, especially in fiction, but uh, it's this idea that someone uh, has some noble heritage that they were unaware of, that they were actually royalty all along. Um, and, you know, this is, it's a way to show the significance of someone who was, you know, separated from who they actually were um, for whatever reason. Uh, you see this entangled. This is the, you know, uh, Rapunzel being stolen away by Mother Gothel. 
only to realize that like she was the lost princess all along or you know take percy jackson he's grown up his whole life and realizes that he's actually the son of poseidon uh hercules the animated movie uh want to make sure that that's known that like he's grown up his whole life with these you know special powers and uh, doesn't he, he thinks he's a freak, but turns out, boom, son of Zeus. Uh, there's so many stories uh, that use this trope of like this hidden royal. We see it with Shasta here, where he will turn out to be the prince of Archenland, uh, that all along he was not a slave. He was not this uh, lower class person, but instead he was actually a prince. Uh, you see this uh, in a lot of stories to show like, hey, this person actually has like a lot of value. And it, you know, generally it's going to encompass, it's going to accompany their, you know, path of being valuable without the title uh, and without their royalty, but also like the royalty kind of like affirms that this person actually is uh, like more than meets the eye. It's the, you know, it's, it's a cool little trope uh, and you're going to see it through a lot of fiction, but Chase nests before eggs. Nest before eggs. Kel, I hope we meet in podcasts. Go to my father, King Apple, and tell him you're a friend of mine. LOL. Good work. Uh, Chase, uh, you know, speaking of, of uh, nest before eggs and, um, you know, making sure that uh, we're, we're not putting the lobster in the pot too quickly, uh, can you tell our listeners where they can find us and how they can help us out? Absolutely. If you want to be a, lo- a lobster boiling in a pot, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, all the places you find podcasts. If you found it the first time, you can find it a second time. Uh, While you're there, make sure to rate and review five stars, please. That helps other people find us as well. And you can also uh, join the party on uh, Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where you can see whenever we post new episodes and also interact with us there. Uh, All that said, We will see you next week as we get into chapter six of this book. Until then, up sails, out oars, and so to sea. For the North and for Narnia. Amen. We had a, uh, we had like a staff lunch the other day and one of the, it was like, there was like a bingo game uh, where it was like, hey, go find people who've done these things. And it was like a blackout bingo though. And one of the things was like, has a podcast and so everyone kept coming to me and they're like, oh, you have a podcast? And I was like, yes, I do. But I don't want you to think that it's like as legit as it probably is in your mind. <laughs> no. Yeah. you. Anyone can have a podcast. It's very easy. It's, it's very like, easy. I feel like this is, this is yeah. more like a book club that we share with a few dozen people. <laughs>